TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. I first met today's guest at the Wellness Summit in Melbourne last year. We shared the stage, an Airbnb, and some epic late-night conversations that I'll never forget. He's a whole foods chef, a celebrated food writer, and author of the food blog. He's also Joe Witten's partner in crime, and some would say the better half of the show, in the quirky <laughs> in the, don't laugh yet, in the quirky journey podcast, which is right here on the Wellness Couch. They have an amazing cookbook coming out very soon so I thought I'd get him on the show to chat about all things healthy food but you never know where this conversation is going to go. Please welcome to Shiny Healthy You the awesome Fuad Kassab. Jules Galloway, how's it going? (laughs) I'm great Fuad, how are you? Yeah, good. I miss you, man. I haven't seen you for a long time. I know. I know. It was so much fun down there in Melbourne and so I've been really, really looking forward to getting you on the show today ever since then. I'm so excited to be here, Jules. Thanks for having me. Woo, let's do it. All right. Now, first of all, tell me, because I know you've got a lot of, you've got quite a big story to tell, um, but tell me how you came to be so interested in Whole Foods. Um, So, I come from a culture that is very much all about food. Like the Lebanese culture has been really the uh, one of the leading cultures in the culinary scene um, over the past, you know, 500 years or so. We've had a really, really rich and varied um, food culture. And I've inherited that personally. I grew up in Lebanon. I came to Australia when I was 20 years old. But um, throughout my formative years um, during the war, which was uh, 1980 was when I was born, um, we didn't have um, the richness that we were famed for because the country was like in severe war and we were surviving on foreign aid. So we were getting a lot of things like spam and ultra pasteurized cheese and uh, sugar and, um, you know, vegetable oils and things like that. And um, that was the diet that was uh, really, really, um, you know, the the one that I grew up on. And uh, even though my heritage was all about fresh vegetables and um, beautiful meats and things like that. We didn't have access to those in the early years. And um, that resulted in uh, me having bad health. So I had obesity issues from the get-go. I then uh, developed ear infections when I was 13. And I was getting antibiotics like six months of the year for around three, four years so that I could deal with the ear infections. And, um, you know, they were being injected straight into my bloodstream, these things. And oh uh, they're quite, quite, yeah, quite vicious. And um, the doctors didn't know what was happening and they were just treating me with antibiotics. And we know that a diet of um, white sugar and vegetable oils and antibiotics is, you know, if you want to make someone sick, that's the stuff you put them on, right, Jules? That's a perfect (laughs) storm, isn't it? Perfect storm, right. Yeah, add add to that the stress of growing up in a war-torn country and then, uh, you know, you've got uh, a recipe for disaster. So um, my health was really, really bad um, and... By the time I turned 17, I got severe acne that started off on the head uh, and then moved to the rest of my body and then um, that coupled with um, eczema as well. So I was on antibiotics for the acne and I was on steroid creams for the eczema and uh, I migrated to Australia in uh, 2001 to pursue some studies in software engineering. 
and uh, I was hoping that the Australian doctors would do a better job at helping me out. And uh, they continue to prescribe the same thing, you know, it's just steroid creams and um, antibiotics. And um, it was just uh, a thing that was made clear to me uh, directly that this is just my genetic luck, that there's nothing I, w- I was going to be able to do about this, and that my allergies and um, eczema and acne and infections are just who I am, and that I wouldn't be able to get over those illnesses. I just have to continue to treat them for the rest of my life with medication. And um, my weight as well was going up and down all, all throughout my uh, 20s. Um, so I I peaked at 128 kilos, and then I would crash diet and severely cal- calorie restrict and go down to, say, 100 kilos, and then go back up. And every time I'd come back with a vengeance, and it was just complete madness, like this calorie restriction, deprivation-style diet, and uh, completely not sustainable in the long term, and, as I saw in myself, that the weight would come back on after I quit. And this is pretty much what the science shows, is that anyone who goes on a, on a diet will end up uh, putting uh, the weight back on. And, you know, the science was, was right in this instance. Um, but I still loved food. I um, Before I was doing software engineering, I was doing a degree in English literature in Lebanon before I came to Australia. So in 2006, missing home and missing the food that um, my mom used to cook and also wanting to be able to bring a different picture about uh, Lebanon rather than the one that is just full of, you know, uh, bombs and uh, missiles and things like that. I wanted to talk about um, the, the time I had growing up, which even though it was was uh, wartime. It was still an amazing time uh, in my life. Um, people during uh, catastrophes, they really um, help each other out. Uh, you have like a, a one big tribe of people who are all together, in it together. You know, we'd be five, six, ten families in a bunker together. And, and we grew up together as one big family. And, um, you know, the whole country was uh, just full of this kind of um, beautiful culture of helping each other out and trying to pitch in during these bad times to, to get out of the darkness. And I wanted to show, sort of share the, the lighter moments in my life just to give people a different perspective. Um, and I decided that I would write about um, Lebanese culture through the lens of food. And I started a food blog called The Food Blog in 2006, <laughs> <laughs> which, um, you know, back then, just a handful of people were blogging in Sydney, maybe there was 10 of us, um, and uh, we we just, um, you know, back then, it was easy enough to get the domain name, thefoodblog.com.au. I know, I was going to say, how did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So, and, you know, luckily, people weren't really clued in back then to search engine optimization and things like that, and I just got it because I was sort of like, oh, I'll just start a food blog and I'll if I'll get that name because I was in IT and I thought you know that would be a good name to get and um, I got it and I started writing and um, people would sort of search for food blog and that come up as the first hit and, um, <laughs> you know, and it, it was uh, you know my blog went from zero to like three four hundred thousand unique visitors a year which was a lot of traffic back then you know like uh, these days uh, it's not considered a mega blog but back then it was a lot and um it kind of pushed me down the road, this kind of um, looking into food more and more seriously. And and I really loved writing about food. Um, but then the Sydney Morning Herald um, 
pick me up and they they saw what what my abilities in writing and expressing myself around food were and they decided that they wanted a voice like that to join the good food guide uh, reviewing team so i reviewed for the sydney morning herald herald Rev- good food guide for um three or four years i can't even remember now how many i did it and um i um continued to further my education around food through that process of finally reviewing restaurants and chefs and the food that they were doing and trying to understand exactly what the chef was doing, everything from their own personal food philosophy and what they put on the plate, but also things like provenance and um, origin of food and organics and um, all the holistic view of food when it came to, say, chefs that were using sustainable produce from the local farmers who were using biodynamic processes and all these things I really really loved so I loved learning about it and I and I um, delved straight into it and it was a a huge learning experience for me um, when it came to understanding food at a cultural level um, and a societal level and what it means for us to be eating food say from a supermarket rather than from a farmer directly and all that kind of stuff and um, it uh, it pushed me down towards the the local eating movement. So I, I focus more on eating local food and um, things that um, I can tell where the food came from. And uh, unfortunately, my weight was still pretty bad, you know, at that time. Like uh, I was still getting heavier and heavier. And in 2011, I was working as an IT manager at uh, one of the major banks. Uh, and um, I had uh, my wife and I had our first daughter and she was born super healthy while I had like one of the worst acne and eczema episodes of my life while she was born Um, and I just uh, I went through severe uh, emotional stress about this Um, I was so happy to have her I wasn't going through depression, but I was completely worried that I will not be able to be the father that I wanted to be for this girl. Like if she was going to cross the street, I wouldn't be able to catch up with her and sort of stop a car from hitting her because I was too heavy and too sick. And um, I decided to take a a year off and uh, focus on my health. And I I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go in and uh, go on one of those calorie calorie restriction diets again, lose 30 kilos, and uh, look after my daughter for the next couple of years until she's old enough to know that, you know, she shouldn't be crossing the street on her own. And then if she does, it's her fault that, you know, something happened, not mine. You know, I did my best. (laughs) And, um, you know, I thought after that, I'll I'll definitely be putting the weight on because that was sort of the the view that um, um, had been, um, you know, instilled into me because that's what had happened all these years i'd lost that weight many many times and put it back on many many times yeah that's the pattern Um, there's a pattern already you can see it yeah yeah exactly and and i knew that was going to happen like I, i wasn't stupid about it but i knew it was sort of like a little intervention at least to be able to bring myself down to a place where i can look after this girl for a little while you know and um I quit my job and uh, as luck would have it, when sometimes you close the door, another one will open for you. And even though I was going on this calorie restriction diet, um, I still wanted to sort of understand why it is that I was particularly broken compared to the rest of the world. Like, why is it that my brothers were fine, but I wasn't doing so well, you know? And I couldn't really accept what the doctors were telling me that, you know, 
it's it's just my genetic luck and I can't do anything about it. And it just didn't make sense. So there was a, a part of me that continued searching for answers, even though I thought that the argument had been settled. So, you know, there's a conflict in me. One saying, you're never going to get over it. And the other part saying, this is rubbish. You just haven't figured it out yet. So um, I, <clears throat> I went to... Um, one day and read an article uh, in the New York Times called Is Sugar Toxic by Gary Tobes, who's a, a famous science writer. And uh, I didn't know him at the time, but he was making um, an argument in his article that um, putting weight on isn't actually a caloric issue, that you don't put on weight because of um, caloric abundance or a surplus of calories, that um, calories uh, do play a small part in terms of uh, weight gain but for the majority of um the the process it is controlled hormonally so it's the hormones that actually decide whether we put on weight or not and he gave the example of like a type 1 diabetic who can't produce insulin no matter how much they eat they can't put on weight until you start giving them insulin so it's a very clear thing to see that the uh, correlation and even the causation to, to an effect would be that um the absence or presence of insulin would determine whether weight gets partitioned or not. And he was saying that as insulin goes up, our um, uh, muscles are told to burn glycogen and our fat cells are told to, to store fat and that our liver is told to turn any excess carbohydrates into fat to be stored into our fat cells. And uh, for many of us, because of our chronic insulin levels due to the years that um, came from um, the, the low-fat phobia. Um, we were all told to eat carbohydrates, and um, we're eating a diet that's so rich in carbohydrates that our insulin is consistently so high that we can never lose weight because our fat cells are never uh, told to uh, let go of the fat that they're holding on to because insulin is so elevated. And uh, he, he made such a compelling argument. I went and bought his book and I read it and, you know, it furthered my knowledge down this path and I was convinced that I was going to try this diet. So I um, I went in, told my wife, I said, Elaine, I'm going to I'm going to go on a suicide mission. And she freaked out because I'm Lebanese. And I said... <laughs> <laughs> Reword that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to be eating bacon for a while. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no flatbread, no... Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's the, you know, like for a Lebanese person who, who loves rice and potatoes. Oh, my and, God. Uh, bread, you know, imagine. Um, but I, I went in and um, started eating an, an Atkins-style diet. But what I didn't really know was um, because I I really was still in that mode of eating locally and um, and eating things that aren't processed. What I didn't know um, <clears throat> is that I was eating what is now called a paleo diet. And mm. back then in 2011, paleo was just you know, about to, to start getting well-known. So really, like, 2012, 2013, people really caught on to it. But um, I had started paleo without knowing. And what happened to me was, uh, you know, miraculous. I, I won't call it anything but that, really, because um, I went through a, a week of feeling really bad, and I got carbohydrate withdrawals, and it, I felt really, really bad and tired and uh, these flu-like symptoms, but I was expecting that. And then... 
after that, my body um, it upregulated the uh, mitochondria that are responsible for fat, uh, burning fat, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm capable of burning fat for the first time in my life. And I woke up that day with this amazing amount of energy and mental clarity. I felt like a fog had been lifted off of my, uh, you know, view of this world that I've never seen the world so good. I, everything was better. Like you know, trees look more colorful and alive and um, the grass was greener and things smelled nicer and people were nicer and my wife was nicer and everything and I was like oh my god I'm definitely overdosing on butter here or something <laughs> something's gone wrong but you know what it was it was just a, a human being's uh, biology waking up for the first time after years and years of inflammation and it was starting to heal in me and I was uh, starting to feel alive for the first time and um, uh. you know it, it kept going from there and uh, within that year I lost 24 kilos effortlessly like I wasn't counting calories except to brag about how many calories I was eating Jules oh I was like 4,000 calories today and, yeah, you know, it was yeah. <laughs> and uh, the weight kept going down and um, and you know within a, a few months as well uh, my skin cleared up like my acne was 90% better my eczema was 90% better my hay fever was 90% better and uh, I was just feeling so much better all areas of my life and um, I realized from there the real power of food and um, the impact that it, it can have on us and um, for the past six years I've just been completely every spare moment that I have has been trying to understand what our relationship with this planet is and the food that this planet provides to us um, and um, trying to find my place in the world through this relationship. And it's been the most amazing, gratifying journey in my life. Um, through it, I started two restaurants. One was called Chickpea, which was a whole food gluten-free restaurant that I, I did to be able to share this um, this kind of wellness with people and this message with people. And it was called one of the best pop-ups of the decade by the Sydney Morning Herald. And I did another one with um, Oz Harvest called Baraka, where we uh, it was a, um, an enterprise to um, help out uh, the youth in need. So we, we were getting some of the youth that Oz Harvest trained in the kitchen to come and uh, work in my kitchen and get some hands-on experience working in a commercial kitchen. And we're giving some of our profits to Oz Harvest. And um, then after that, after I finished the restaurant, um, I was working in IT a little bit just to keep uh, going financially. And then Joe and I, who have been friends since 2008, uh, kept on, you know, kept in touch throughout all these crazy years of mine, <laughs> and uh, decided to uh, write the next cookbook from Quirky Cooking together. And um, it's, it's such an honor and a privilege for me to be working with Joe because she's an amazing woman who who's touched the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. If you, if you don't know Joe, she's from quirkycooking.com.au, and um, she's my podcast host at the quirky journey and my business partner now and we've written together uh, life-changing food which is um uh, the the cookbook um that we've been working on for the past year and it's a it's a 100 percent gluten-free whole food 
cookbook that delves into the ancestral lifestyle, but it's not strictly paleo. It talks about things like preparing legumes and grains um, that are non-glutinous and how to uh, deal with it. And it talks about all sorts of lifestyle things like uh, exercise and movement and nature and all, all that kind of stuff from a, uh, a realistic perspective for people who are living busy lives and trying to really um, come to a, a place which is happier. Like most of us, all of us, I believe, are in a, on a quest for happiness, not health, nothing. It's not something in particular. We just want to be happy. And I think that the, the return to nature and the way that we eat and uh, interact with this world is is the answer for it. And this is where we find our, our truth as a human being. And from that truth comes wellness um, in all aspects of our lives. So this is what we're sharing in that cookbook. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. You, you know what? I wrote a bunch of questions before we started this podcast and now I've just like chucked that to one side and, ri- and written a whole bunch more while you were talking. Oh, my God, there's so much gold in there, Fuad. Um, can I just take you back to I'm really interested in, in the whole mindset around that yo-yo dieting and that low-calorie stage in your life because I know a lot of the people that I speak to and, and a lot of our listeners um, – they have come from that low-fat era. So they're about the same age as us. They've been through that low-fat, low-calorie 1980s era. And I'm interested that you used the word suicide mission when you decided that you were going to go on this new regime because it was like your brain, like it's like your mind was already deciding that, hey, I'm going to do this, but it's going to involve more deprivation because it's like all the diets we tried in the 80s and 90s involve some sort of deprivation. And I think it stops a lot of people from starting low carb because they just immediately put their heads back into that space going, mm-hmm. all right, what do I have to go without this time? How am I going to get yeah. through this? I'll do it for the sake of my daughter or for the sake of my health or for the sake of this, yeah. that and the other. So how, how did you get your head around that? Yeah, so so uh, so many things were uh, scaring me off that diet. Firstly, it was the fact that I was going to be eating eating way more saturated fat than I thought was humanly, um, you know, uh, doable. I thought that I was going to get a heart attack, you know, from eating all that cholesterol. Honestly, that was um, because. It, it was clear that I was going to have to eat so much eggs and butter and bacon and things like that to be able to um, get my energy because uh, I yeah. ate a lot, you know. So I thought uh, that was going to be a problem. And those eggs, and eggs, mate, they'll kill you. They'll totally. Kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that that was really what I meant by the suicide mission is is that it's going to be um, death by saturated fat. And little did I know actually that uh, th- this was a complete myth. And that saturated fat does not kill you. And also, little did I know back then that it's also a complete myth that sugar is going to kill you as well. Because like back then, when I, when I first made the switch to eating, say, um, low carb, I demonized sugar. And I've realized now that neither sugar nor fats are bad, uh, but it's just where they come from. And, and we have to really look at the sources of where these um, macronutrients are coming from. And if they're coming from an industrialized food, then regardless of what the food is, it's going to be bad. Fat or sugar, whatever it is, it's going to be bad. If it's a live food that is organic and it's in season and it's local to us and our our biology isn't damaged, then we should be able to eat it. This is really the the beauty of the the, the omnivore. And uh, being an omnivorous species, we should be able to eat everything. But um, I definitely uh, 
had a lot of emotional attachment to food um, because uh, partly um, the the concern that I had was that the reason why I wasn't being able to lose weight was um, was due to a a lack in my character that I actually was not strong-willed enough to be able to uh, eat like a reasonable human being. Um, that I overate because of some kind of emotional thing, or I, I don't know what it was, and, and I, other people around me, they had more self-control. So already that comes with a lot of self-blame and self-judgment, and when you go on a diet, you're going a diet against you, on a diet against yourself, against that fictitious self that you think is there waiting to sabotage you. That's how we view, view this whole thing. So it, it is a, a scary kind of um, war to go into against yourself because you know every time you've gone into it, the other guys won, you know? And um, this is this is a, b- a big deal for someone who's trying to, um, to lose weight because they've tied their self-image, which is just an image, to, to that failure that has constant, constantly happened in their life. So uh, firstly, what um, I, I've realized now is that this is not true. That actually, wellness is our our heritage. It's wellness is is our birthright. This is where we all should be when we're born, and that um, unless, of course, there's some kind of birth defect or something like that. But someone who's who's born um, into a a world full of nutritious food and a, and good healthy lifestyle will be healthy. This is. This is how our biology works. You know, we look at uh, all sorts of indigenous cultures around the world, and this is the norm. Like, they don't have diabetes and heart disease and cancer because um, they, they've claimed their heritage as a human being, and that in- includes being well. Uh, so when people uh, go on on the old-fashioned style of deprivation diet, um, it's a it's a different mindset because they're going into war. Whereas when you go into a diet that is um, trying to connect you with who you are and trying to really um, awaken you to your true self, then uh, this is a diet full of uh, love and nourishment at all levels for you. And um, this is what we need to be well. And... Um, it, it's a realization that comes to us slowly as we are on this diet is that, hey, you know what? I feel nourished. I don't feel deprived. I feel good. I feel like I'm getting what I need. And uh, there's no emotional conflict in me about this. And and that's why it's sustainable. Because now, six years later, I'm still 97, 96 kilos, you know, from 128. So um, this is statistically impossible, as people would say, if you go on a diet. But I'm not on a diet now. I, I'm, I nourish myself with food that is appropriate for me. And um, it's, it's a, an amazing thing to find in your life because the war finishes, you know, like, because a, a lot of us are just fighting this, this kind of war of wellness. And when you don't have to anymore, a, a relief comes over you and you feel so, so much happier and lighter. Yeah. And it, it changes everything. I, I love how you talk about how it changes your mindset. It's not just about healing your liver or healing your gut or, or you know, losing the weight. It's it's whole, you know, mind and body, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we talk about, um, say, naturopaths such as yourself and, and that you deal 
holistically with people as opposed to the reductionist view of a, a doctor or cardiologist will um, you know deal with your heart you know and that that's it or a brain surgeon will deal with your brain and they they sort of break you down like a car to these little pieces and then they say this is faulty we've got to address this and then we have holistic medicine which looks at the human being as a holistic organism and says well you know look, let's look at this person and what they eat and how they sleep and all that kind of stuff and i i believe that also you can apply an even further vitalistic view to to the human which is looking at the the society that they're born in. because I, I really believe that there's only one true cause of disease and um it's a disconnect of the society from uh, its place in the natural world. So when a society is sick and does not see um, the earth as Mother Earth, which brings gives us life and gives us food and gives us healing and gives us shelter, then they start um, fighting against Earth. They, they clear the land, they put high-rises, they pollute the air, they pollute the waterways, they start industrializing food, they start uh, abusing people, enslaving people, they start doing all sorts of things that are not really appropriate for a, a, a species on this planet to be doing. And then they create a toxic environment in which the food that new people are born into the society are eating, and um, it also creates a, a toxic mental environment that... Uh, a child born into this world will never see the world for what it truly is, this kind of amazing um, life-bearing planet. Um, and uh, this causes the disease in us physically and emotionally and spiritually. And um, then when you start finding your place, where, however it is, I found mine through the food, going back to nature through the food, um, I found that that gave me healing. And um, I find that this kind of healing need is kind of growing now within our society, uh, that more and more people are being um, turned on to this truth and they're touching more and more people around them and they're spreading this message. And slowly but surely, um, the, what was forgotten about our place in the world is being rediscovered. And um, that's coming from a place of... Um, nature calling us back to itself because we're so sick we can only find health in her so um this is where it's so exciting for me to have found this because uh, it's my guiding philosophy in life and i find when i have this kind of guiding philosophy making choices becomes so much easier um so i don't like for instance someone gives me a i, I don't know like a mars bar of course i'm not going to eat it because it's not living food you know it's not the food that um earth has given us it's just an industrialized dead food that is going to make us sick and dead as well so you know it's it's a much larger picture even than holistic medicine that i that i have here which which makes me so happy um because i can apply it to all aspects in my life not just health yeah and i love how coming from you it's it's especially poignant because you've seen the extremes of what humans can do having lived through wartime and um and I, I'm interested, actually, in how, uh, you know, a culture can heal from that as well, because I was just over in Greece a few weeks ago, um, hanging out in the refugee camps where there was a lot of Syrian people and Afghani people, etc. And I noticed like they, they'd come from this devastation. They've, they've got, they arrive with just a, a bag of clothing, if that may be nothing, and they're living in these tents. But one of the first things that starts to 
help these people to feel normal and feel like they can get on with things again is food. Like it was the food that was bringing them together. And one of the most powerful things I did as as a volunteer over there was like the most simple thing, which is like we rocked up out the front of the camp with these massive urns and we had afternoon tea every day. And seriously, all we gave them was tea. And that started to bring some routine and just, you know, a a little bit of normal kind of here's, you know, come out, have a cuppa, have a chat with everyone, mingle. And we started to do that with food as well. And I noticed in one of the camps there was a bloke who just started up a falafel stall. Just, you know, just took, you know, he could have just sat in his, he could have sat in his tent all day, but he was like, no, I'm going to start a falafel stall. And that brought people together. So talk to me about, you know, your culture and food and, and how it does bring people together like that and what you learned from that. So, so in our culture, food is really at the heart of it. Um, food is, in all, all traditional cultures, food is at the heart of the culture. It's inseparable from our identity. The food is us. So you can look at the food and understand it. And then from the food, you can understand people. You can understand the, the geography of the land. You can understand the history of the land. You can understand the culture of the land by looking at the food itself. Um, Food is plays a, a continual, continuously uh, major part in healing people, but we also see it playing a, a bad part in um, maybe oppressing people. So I'll give you an example. Um, we we know that uh, capitalistic um, enterprises such as uh, say McDonald's produces food that is unhealthy. And that food spreads around the world and it spreads with it unhealth, sickness. Whereas, um, and and you see it in the people that start consuming that food. Um, So if you have a culture that insists on having good, healthy food, then with it, the culture heals as well. So... This is not. This is a a, a part of things. The part part of the greater picture. Because of course, there's there are many many things to address in in a culture to fix it. And I'm not claiming that I know the answer or anything. But what I can say is that at an individual level, this is where the work is at. Because even the idea of of a culture of a, or a people, you can't change a culture. You, you change individuals, and then you know eventually a culture will shift. But what I do know is that we are all restless until we find our place in the world. And that the only way that we find our place in the world is by, which is the same place, is by reconnecting to our nature as a human being and reconnecting ourselves to this planet. And if you do that through food, then you've healed yourself and then the people around you will want to know what's happened because they will see something in you that... They, they want to because they're equally as restless as you once were and they will want it. And then it's, it's simple enough to tell them what to do because, um, you know, they, they're on that part of their quest where the question has brought them to a place where change needs to happen. And uh, the answer is there and it lies in the food and the reconnection. And when, once the individual is healed, then the culture will slowly start shifting and healing. And this is my my utopian view of it, and I, you know, my hope is that my life's work is, you know, contributing within my own circle of influence to bringing that kind of healing back into the planet. 
Do you think we'll heal ourselves to a point where we can start eating the traditional foods again that our ancestors ate, like, for example, gluten and grains? Yeah, I, I don't know whether we can he- heal the individual. Like, m- maybe, I don't know. For instance, I have a really severe gluten allergy, and uh, I, I haven't been able to get over it. Um, but my daughters can have it. Um, but the problem, say, with gluten, as you know, Jules, isn't the fact that it's a protein that, you know, people just die from. Um, and as you well said, our ancestors ate it and they did all right. Um, this is an example of, again, a, um, a culture that does not know where to stop and does not know... Um, its interest and the interest of the planet. So with gluten, they, we spray it with Roundup as a desiccant. Um, so when wheat is growing and it's about to be harvested, we, we spray the wheat with uh, glyphosate or Roundup, which is the weed killer from Monsanto. And what it does to the wheat is that it, um, it, sends it, it kills it and it sends it into shock as it's dying. And it sends more nutrition to the wheat berries to make them plumper. And um, so that the yield is earlier and the yield is larger. And uh, it makes it easier to harvest when the plant is dead as well. So then we go and harvest the, the wheat and we um, will uh, mill it uh, with machines into super ultra-fine white flour, which our ancestors could only do stone ground wheat. And then we'll take that ultra-refined white flour, add extra gluten to it, add vegetable oils, add genetically modified uh, sugar from uh, corn, and uh, add instant yeast to it. And uh, within an hour, it can go from grain to loaf um, that is completely toxic. Our ancestors would harvest traditional varieties of wheat. They would uh, stone ground them when they need when they needed to, because otherwise they would spoil. They'd keep them whole as, as long as possible. And then they would uh, ferment them through sourdough fermentation using only salt and water and the airborne yeast and fungi and bacteria. And uh, that process would take around a week. And then they would make a loaf of bread and eat it. Um, so you can see how such a different product to... Um, the one that is in supermarkets at the moment, and we called it the two bread. So obviously, then you know when we use words, we uh, confuse the concept and we confuse the reality because just pointing to the two things with the same word is obviously erroneous. Um, so I believe people should be um, those of us who are healthy and not feeling sick. Um, we should definitely, if we're eating bread, we should definitely go for organic sourdoughs. Um, and uh, not eat the rubbish that's in the supermarkets, and um, then they'll be fine. I think people are, can tolerate a bit of wheat if their genetics tolerate it and they have the, the enzymes to, to handle it, and I, I think that's all right. Um, I personally can't do it, um, but it's uh, it's a food that we've been having for 10,000 years, and we've done okay on it. You know, It's not it's not a killer, as, as bad a killer as people make it that sound to be, but... Uh, we just have to understand where we are within our own health journey and also make the right decisions. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. And and lately I've been talking a lot about uh, matching the pace of your illness to, you know, how strict your diet is as well. Because if you, you know, like you said, where you're in a position where 
you have been unwell for a very long time, so you need to be a bit more strict. But then, you know, your daughter who's healthy can eat it, but just, you know, and I hate to use the term moderation, but she can eat it, but not to excess. So it, it depends on the health of the person going into it as well. But but I do love that you mentioned the Roundup because we've had Cindy O'Meara on this show um, in the past and she was freaking amazing and she spoke, yeah. she spoke a lot about the Roundup and how it increases our intestinal permeability as well. And then once we've got that intestinal permeability or what people call leaky gut, then that's when you're more likely to see these food intolerances pop up as well. Look, if I, if I gave you um, an apple... But before I gave it to you, I got some Roundup and I sprayed it on you. I said, here, wash it and eat it. Would you eat it? How hungry was I? <laughs> <laughs> what, what other? T- talk me through my options, mate. What, what else did, are we talking? Was it sitting yeah. next to something better? <laughs> or was I, was I on a desert it. island? <laughs> think twice about it. That's the thing. But this is what's happening to our food. We're spraying poisons on our food. Like we're spraying toxins on our food. You know, it's just like... If you don't see it happening, then you just eat the food. But if someone showed you, showed you that this is what I'm doing to the food, then you'd really hesitate to eat it, and you'd hesitate to give it to your children. Because look, this is this is a um, we're spraying things like herbicides and fungicides, and uh, these things go in and kill our gut bacteria. And our gut bacteria and our bacterial DNA outnumbers human DNA. In, our, in the human body 10 times to 1. So we've got, we're more bacteria than we are human. And uh, our mitochondria are also bacterial in their uh, ancestrally, uh, from an evolutionary perspective. We fused with bacteria and they became our mitochondria and, and they're what give us our energy. So we're very susceptible to things that are, you know, antibacterial. And... Um, it's everywhere. It's even in the chlorine, chlorinated water. Like chlorine's function is to stop the growth of uh, what we call contaminants, you know, bacteria and funguses and, and things like that that grow in, in municipal water. And by the time we drink that water, it's still there. The chlorine doesn't magically disappear. It just goes down our GI tract and does further damage to, to our GI tract. So it's really, it's pretty bad, you know, the, the whole scene it's pretty bad. And that's what I'm talking about, like a society that just is sick at a societal level, that we're doing these things. And yeah, it increases intestinal permeability, uh, which then means that more larger molecules of food can enter our bloodstream. And these are things that never historically entered our bloodstream. And then all of a sudden, our body gets so confused with all these, the onslaught of uh, macro uh, molecules that it's not used to seeing. And, and then it starts mounting an inflammatory response to it. And uh, sometimes the inflammatory response um, may also uh, cause uh, a problem in the thyroid. And you get the Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Or you might get Crohn's and IBS when it attacks the gut lining. Or you, you can get arthritis when it uh, attacks your joints. And these are all symptoms of the one disease. You know, they're all the, And we, we give them different names. But what's happening is... We're, you know, we've really messed up the way that we, that we eat food and, and you know, it, it manifests differently in all of us and um, the, the cause is the one cause. Yeah, I love that because we, at the moment that that reductionist kind of medical model, it does see all the diseases as being these separate things 
And I love how you're, you're, you're in the same kind of mindset as me and that we're bringing all of that back together and going, no, 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 they're just all different symptoms of the one bigger problem. Absolutely. And, and when we realize that, it's actually something to, be re- to you know, give you relief because you're not having to worry about a thousand things. You have to worry about one thing. Which yeah. Is, yeah, like you're, the way that you eat, make it in tune with nature. Uh, eat organic where possible, drink clean water that's not been messed with, uh, filter it if you have to, um, and sleep well. Um, don't expose yourself to too much artificial light at night and uh, get as much sun as you possibly can without burning yourself and uh, you know, be happy and live within a happy community of people who like each other and look after each other. That's really, that's a nice way to live. I think it fixes a lot of problems. Sounds good to me. Where do I sign? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> we all want that, don't we? Yeah. We do. And I, I think it is, it's an opportunity going forward to see everyone as being more connected because, okay, that person has asthma, that person has eczema, that person over there has rheumatoid arthritis, that person over there has depression or anxiety. But you all can work together to achieve health because underlying all those illnesses and disease, it it turns out that a lot of the stuff we need to do to get better is actually the same. That's right. You bring everyone to the same table and everyone's eating the same food. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It just makes so much sense. So where do you see healthy eating being headed in the next few years? I, um, I know that, you know, you, you eat slightly differently to your daughter, but there's, and I know that, you know, having worked with Joe, uh, Joe Witten's really into GAPS, uh, that, that's mm-hmm. the, the basis of her whole business. So w- what types of foods do you think we'll be eating and not eating in the years to come? Um, I think there's going to be definitely a, a bigger emphasis on organic food. Um, that's without that we're seeing it each year the even at the supermarkets the organic section is growing and growing um, we're also going uh, to see a lot more uh, medicinal food so we're going to see a lot of people adding medicinal herbs and plants into uh, mainstream food products I, I believe uh, so we'll see things like I don't know calendula and uh, go to cola and even things like meadow sweet and the, the anti-inflammatories they're, they're going to start making like a, a real show um, and um, that's going to be massive um, I think that's going to like be a, a beautiful thing for the world because we'll start really understanding the, the importance of plants in our uh, food and uh, the having more biodiversity as well um, I, I also see um, people still eating a lot of uh, refined food. I don't see that going. I don't think that um, the world has changed enough so that next year everyone's going to stop eating you know, McDonald's and stuff like that. Um, that's going to continue. But uh, I think there's going to be uh, more of a swing towards the, the healthy eating and eating. Yeah, like GAPS, I, I believe, is a great diet because... Um, First of all, it doesn't claim, claim to be a lifestyle diet. It, uh, it, it is an intervention diet that people go on if they're having severe problems um, and they need to be able to get on top of their issues and eat food that is nourishing and uh, doesn't feel like a deprivation kind of diet. At first, it is hard gaps. Like the first two, three stages of gaps are, are a li- little bit limited. All you're eating is like... Things are um, really well cooked, 
and very very soft so you do miss, miss crunchy food a lot and like, <laughs> you know like and, and raw foods um but then it becomes a bit more uh, open and at the end of it it starts resembling paleo a lot but even it's a bit more liberal because it has some legumes in it and things like that um and um i, I find uh, gaps will will be yeah adopted more widely um especially with people with uh, gut health issues because it's really the finest diet for gut health especially if you like really severely need help um we've got the online gut health program that teaches people how to eat um the gaps diet um on gaps.quirkycooking.com.au and um we've i don't know now it's one and a half thousand plus subscribers in less than a year that we've had to that program um, which is quite big. Last year, I was at the Mind Forum, and it it had 350 people paying like serious money to come and uh, learn about the connection between the gut and the brain, and uh, you know inflammation and all that kind of stuff. And um, there's another uh, Mind Forum this year for practitioners only in May. But like that forum is growing bigger and bigger, attracting uh, more uh, people who are um, advocating. Uh, anti-inflammatory diets and gut healthy diets so this is uh, we're going back to the idea that all diseases start in the gut so yeah i think gaps is is the perfect diet for helping a lot of people out um and we're seeing great results for that in in the gut health program people are just really thriving on it having reversed years and years of illnesses and they continue to improve um, I think paleo will stay. There's nowhere it's going to go. It's, it's an amazing diet for um, everyday kind of life. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's as far as I can predict. Love it. Love it. I think you're the oracle there. I, I reckon you're pretty bang on. You're You're also doing a gut health retreat soon, aren't you? Yeah, so we've got a gut health retreat in the end of April, I think 28, 29, 30, in, up in uh, far north Queensland, near where Joe lives, in the Atherton Tablelands, which is a stunning, stunning part of Queensland. Have you ever been there, Joe? I haven't. I haven't, but I'm going to have to do it, I think. It sounds amazing. Uh-huh. I know you've got beautiful lakes and waterfalls and all kinds of cool yeah. things up there. <laughs> yeah, it's this old volcanic um, area that you go up the mountain range from Cairns and you believe like when you drive up that high you feel like you're going to get to a mountain uh, air, mountainous area but it's all plains and hills and it's this beautiful rich deep dark volcanic soil where it grows the most lush grass and they have amazing dairy uh, farms there that are just beautiful make beautiful milk and uh, great meat as well and great great produce it's um, the wet tropics so they have amazing uh, fruit that grow there just insane um, local f- uh, well, indigenous fruits and also um, f- all sorts of tropical fruits that grow there and they're delicious it's amazing because of like the, the land is so nutrient rich and um, we're having the gut health retreat there to teach people how to uh, eat uh, the gaps diet and um, it's uh, yeah it's an amazing um, way of eating and an amazing place to be so uh, three days away from the kids and learning how to get yourself in shape and uh, eat the right way is uh, going to be amazing for the, the attendees and um, we have another one as well coming up in June uh, you can go to the quirkycooking.com.au website you, you'll see um, a banner there and um from there, you, you, yeah, you'll be able to have a bit more information about the gut health retreat. 
Awesome. I'll pop some links in the show notes as well to absolutely everything. So is that the best place to find you guys at quirkycooking.com.au? Yeah, so uh, our website commonly now, like I'm working with Jo, so um, she's the uh, the face of the business, uh, uh, lucky, <laughs> and um, I, I help her out with recipe development and all sorts of the other the behind the scenes stuff. But I also have my own um, website, which is foatkasab.com, and I have my own Facebook page, which is uh, foatkasab health. Um, and I'm on Instagram as iFood uh, blog. I think uh, iFood BLG. I think I can't remember. I'm not, you know. Uh, be, I'll pop it in the show like notes. That. I'll find yeah. it. Right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Cool. And when does the book come out? So the book. Uh, when when does this uh, episode come out? Oh, when when do you want to put it out? We can <laughs> we can do this. We can make this come out fast. I swear. We'll pop okay. this one out really really quickly. Actually, probably That's- start of April. Yeah. yeah, well, it, it hits the shore. It shores um, on the 1st of April, which is today, as we record this podcast. The book should be arriving into Australia. And then it's going to clear customs and then go into the shipping company. And uh, then they're going to start shipping the book out, um, you know, this coming week. And they have thousands of orders to go through, but they said it'll take them around 10 days to get all the orders out. Um, and then after that's all come out, um, you know the book. Uh, well, if it officially stops being on pre, the pre-order phase uh, as of today, I guess. Hey, um, and yeah, it's it's available to order on quirkycooking.com.au, and there's a banner there for the cookbook, and you can go and order it. That's so super exciting. You bunch of overachievers, you. I love what you guys do. <laughs> this is awesome. Fuad, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us today. That was amazing and fun and I love epic chats with you. You know yeah, I do. So yeah, I love it too. <laughs> I'll look forward to the next one. Thank you so Thanks, much. Yeah, bye, guys. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Fuad Kassab. It's not very often that you find someone who's that passionate about what they do, so I hope you found some wonderful nuggets of information in that one. Don't forget, also, my brand new program, 7 Days to Gluten-Free, is out now. So if you need a helping hand to clean up your diet, I'm your girl. Check it out now at julesgalloway.com. I'll be back again next week talking all things health and wellness, so hit subscribe and let the new episodes just roll into your podcast app. In the meantime... Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their business, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.